Ari Resume, I'm here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. Uh, this week's topic, we're going to talk about what plan, what prospective 401k plan providers are telling plan sponsors that is actually true. Uh, of course, first things first, go to that 401k site.com for further information on all our events. We got the virtual event at the end of January. Uh, get one of my emails, sign up for free. Otherwise, you're on the hook for two bucks and twenty-four cents. Uh, the Arlington, Texas. Um, event is open. Yankee Stadium event is open. We'll talk later about tickets and all that stuff. Uh, we still will have events. I know the Texas event, the game will be on May 2nd, not May 3rd. The next morning, we can't have an event the same day um, as the game, which is per the uh, City Field rules. City Field had the same similar rules, and uh, I don't recall anybody else having those rules, but uh, actually, I think Kansas City. Oh, Kansas City. I know Kansas City did not, but I, that that's the rules. And I, I know with the Yankees, there'll be game tickets available, a small amount for Dodger uh, against the Dodgers, which uh, should be a lot of fun. But uh, go to the site, sign up. Hundred bucks gets you in. Food, uh, five hours of content, hopefully a stadium tour and whatnot. So we're going back to. You know, a couple of live events a year, not too many. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of cities we'd like to get to in the next couple of years. I want to say Washington, D.C. is on the bucket list for 2025. Uh, hopefully we'll still have events by then. But, uh, of course, go to that 4 ksitecom for further information, everything, articles, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, when, you know, I always talk about it when I was at that law firm, um, and, you know, I think I'm certain a lot of people say, why do you still talk about that place? Uh, you were there for two years. That was so 13 years ago. You're in a better place now and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I, I talk about it. It's just, I like, um, you know, we all have our uh, shortcomings in life and, and, and I like rubbing my success in the face of people who didn't think that, you know, I could sell and bring in business and, you know, uh, I predicted that that law firm would suffer because they were so behind the times. They're about 50, less than 50% of what they were 13 years ago. Uh, I'm on to better and better, uh, way better things. And, and, and again, uh, they had a situation. They At the time, they were a very well-recognized law firm Long Island. Um, and this, these, these days, that they're not no longer part of the conversation as some of those big law firms. Um, on Long Island. Now it's, you know, kind of Rifkin Radler, Abrams, Abrams, Advencerman, Colin Dykeman, uh, and some other firms. Um, and, and again, they had you know, some good corporate clients. Now, if the corporate attorneys would have referred me uh, work on the 401k plan, uh, the, the corporate attorneys would get 50% of all the billings that I made. So if I charge, you know, $3,000 for a plain document, it's $1,500 in their pocket. For some reason or another, uh, they still thought that they were sole practitioners and they, were no long, they weren't interested in what I had to offer. And, you know, the managing attorney was just, didn't like me from day one. And uh, she thought it was on me that somehow, you know, they don't want to work with me or whatever it was. So at that time, I said, you know, I'm not getting anything from the partners. What can I do to get clients? And I thought about writing articles uh, that plan providers could use uh, in getting clients. So the whole idea was, you know, you have a, you know, TPA, 
or an advisor and they're trying to recruit the client, you know, with all this stuff about what's going on in the retirement plan space and plan sponsor is going to say, oh, you're just telling me that because you want my business. That's not really true. So the idea was my articles were that kind of like um, second opinion where, you know, the TPA and the advisor could say, you know, forget about what I'm saying. This independent arrestatory is saying the same thing I'm saying. And that was the whole idea behind it. And that's kind of the idea behind this idea of this podcast, which, of course, always comes together with an article. That's what we do here. And um, that got me to where I am now. That content, people saying, oh, you know, this Ari Rosenbaum, you know, he writes stuff. He, he writes a lot of nonsense about, you know, airplane and Caddyshack. And in the midst of there, there's some really good nuggets that I could use to sell to this client. So the idea was, you know, you, you, you do a favor for somebody by allowing them to use your writings to generate business. And when there's an ERISA matter, uh, who are they going to think of? You know, some ERISA attorney from across the way who, uh, you know, would charge them every second they're on a phone call. Or Ari, who has an open-door policy, will, you know, answer a question here and there for nothing. We're going to give it to him. And that's just the nature of it. You know, it's all, you know, I learned from the best Rich Larita, top salesperson that I worked with for about 10 years. It's all a relationship-driven business. Uh, and what you can do for people pays it off in the end. And sometimes it doesn't pay off. And sometimes it comes from different places and whatnot. And you get referred in by, you know, somebody will say, I got referred by so-and-so. And honestly, I don't remember so-and-so. Uh, but, you know, if a plan sponsor is being courted by a plan provider, they're, you know, they think they're being, you know, there's some gaslighting going on. There's really nothing wrong with the plan. Um, that would ha happen sometimes. Uh, oh, you're just saying that because you want a business. But, you know, here, there are things that plan providers do that are self-serving, but most of the time they're talking about issues that are true. You know, sometimes they exaggerate the issues. I mean, costs are very, very important. Um, you know, before fee disclosure, uh, small and medium-sized plans would, you know, would scoff at the notion that we, you know, High administrative costs would expose them to liability. Uh, James Holland and I, when we first started out, you know, meeting up on LinkedIn, um, you know, there was a guy out there who said that we were blowing smoke, we were making stuff up. Uh, no small, medium-sized plans could get into trouble. Uh, from a litigation standpoint, yeah, I mean, it's true. Um, you're not going to get, you know, Jerry Schlick, they're knocking down your door on a five million dollar plan. Uh, but you know. There are issues from time to time. It doesn't stop from a participant going to the Department of Labor and complaining about it because they're now a former employee. Plan sponsors need to focus on fees. They need to understand that their costs are about reasonableness. They don't have to pick the cheapest plan provider out there. Reasonableness in light of the services being provided. You want to pay more, pay more for a 316? Well, you can, as long as the fees are reasonable. And that's what it's all about. Share classes. Um, share classes are important. Uh, that was one of the biggest uh, interesting parts, and it goes back to what, you know, we'll talk about revenue sharing, but uh, I was always a fan, Listen, uh, I'll admit it, I'm a fan of index funds, always have been, always will be, uh, big fan of ETFs uh, uh, in my own accounts, as far as 401k plans, I don't know if they're necessary, but that'll get me in trouble with somebody, but I'm uh, a big fan of index funds. And, you know, this lowly arrest attorney, you're being told that uh, 
running index funds are, are too expensive. Uh, the administrative costs are too much. Well, that's because there was revenue sharing being involved. Um, and, you know, revenue sharing is an interesting concept because it goes right into share classes. It really, um, you know, comes to uh, a situation where uh, you have an alphabet soup of share classes. R1 pays this, and P, and T, and, and, you know, all of a sudden it's like the old New York subway map where you had an LL train and a KK and whatever. I don't, I don't remember. MM, MR, uh, QB, this, that sort of thing. And then, of course, New York City, no longer the LL, it's the L. Um, I don't even know if there is a K train anymore. I haven't looked at the map recently. But, uh, a plan sponsor has to offer the best share class available. Uh, a lot of the big litigation uh, cases out there against 401k plan sponsors dealt with um, improper share classes where big plans could have been in a cheaper, uh, you know, share class. I was always a big fan of Vanguard funds, mutual, you know, obviously index. And I was the Admiral share. And uh, as an individual investor, you were in the retail share class. And if you had, you know, $250,000 or more, I don't even know what it is anymore, you had an admiral share class. Um, 401k plans work a little bit differently because it's like an alphabet soup uh, on these um, actively managed funds. So again, it's important for the plan sponsor to be in the right share class. Uh, paying retail when they could have been in a cheaper institutional share class, that's on them. And that's on their advisor. And that's on the TPA for not steering them to the right uh, direction. And again, plan sponsors have been held liable for having improper share classes. Obviously, it's important that a plan sponsor has a financial advisor and a best policy statement. I can't, you know, I can't um, say that enough. Again, bring up that little law firm. I will always talk about that case uh, because it's still, you know, uh, it was, you know, embarrassing where, you know, your risk attorney, you refer some advisors and you can't get the own business for the people that you referred in. And the HR director picks somebody that you didn't recommend. I mean, it's still a funny story. So the funny story was, um, we didn't have an advisor. We didn't have an IPS. And I told the HR director, who's one of the trustees in point, you know, you're going to be held liable if there's ever a case. You've done nothing. She gave me, you know, these mutual funds when I started the plan you know, these were popular like 10 years ago. And she told me, well, we haven't changed funds in 10 years. We don't have an investment advisor on the plan, blah, 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 blah. I recommend, you know, like three, four good advisors that I know. None of them got the business. Who got the business? Well, an advisor who was recommended by um, a TPA that I recommended. The best part of it was uh, the advisor, when it came time to changing TPAs, didn't pick that TPA, she picked somebody else, which I think is still one of my favorite stories. But uh, it's important to have a financial advisor and investment policy statement. There needs to be a process in place that has to be followed in selecting and replacing mutual funds based on investment policy statement. Um, it's not, you know, again, I think anybody could pick select, you know, select investments and all that stuff. And I would assume if you picked uh, index funds, uh, do you really need an IPS? I think you do. Uh, I've been in a situation where I have the uh, Department of Labor breathing down my back on a two-participant profit-sharing plan. It's really, you know, owner and I don't know if it's a spouse or whatever it is, but 
there's no point in it. But uh, the Department of Labor wants it. It's not legally required. They want it. So I I gave them one. I gave the DOL agent one that was just so, like, flexible that you could drive a, a truck through it because this client likes to invest in stocks. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that was obviously an issue. So I, I couldn't talk about invest. you know, I couldn't talk about mutual funds and all that stuff. I had to make it more and more generic. Obviously, plain design can help plan sponsors save a lot of money. Um, a good TPA isn't all about plan administration. It's all also about plan design. Uh, a lot of plan sponsors leave money on the table because they still do that whole comp-to-comp profit-sharing contribution, or, you know, they don't have, you know, they're failing testing, so highly compensated employees are getting refunds. I've seen situations where uh, the refunds... Um, that participants are getting the HCEs were more money than the Kinec that would have fixed the problem. Um, so, you know, new comparability, uh, cash balance, addition, uh, safe harbor, uh, so many ways uh, a plant sponsor can maximize contributions. You maximize contributions, you maximize tax deductions. Less uh, corporate taxation, or if it's a S-Corp or LLC, less uh, personal uh, income taxes for the partners involved. And, you know, a good TPA is very, very good in plain design. Uh, you know, some other TPAs, you know, there obviously is that list of, you know, I write that article every year about plan provi- uh, payroll providers, and I don't find that they're very, very good in plain design, so that's always an issue. Uh, you know, more money in the pockets of the highly paid is better than more money in the government. Uh, I know uh, non-highly compensated employees <laughs> want uh, those folks to pay their fair share, but uh, you know the non-highly compensated employees don't pay my bills and don't pay pay the bills of uh, most plan providers. Obviously, a better educated participant does better. Uh, there's a great store. Uh, it's called Sims. Uh, an educated consumer is our best customer. Better, it was something like that. It's a really good store. Uh, you know, I don't even shop in places like that anymore, like Marshalls or whatever. It was like TJ Maxx and all that. They had, they had some higher-end stuff. Uh, better than the TJ Maxx, better than Marshalls. Um, you know, and I think an educated plant participant, you know, studies have shown they do better. That means, you know, people getting investment education. ERISA 404C is one of the most misunderstood propositions out there. Plan sponsors were told, oh, if you give participants uh, the chance to direct their own investments, you're exempt from liability. Well, yeah, it's only if you actually provide them with enough investment education to um, uh, make education decisions. Listen, uh, you know, Pat, the HR director, when she gave me a Morningstar profile on these 10-year-old investments, listen, I could read a Morningstar profile I'm not a financial advisor. I don't have a you know, training or education in it. But you know, I taught myself. I know how to read it. Most participants don't. I have a friend of mine who's still like, who just left that law firm. And, uh, to show you how uneducated he was, uh, he pulled me aside once. He says, you know, this 401k plan, I cover all the market. So how do you do that? I, and he tells me, Ari, I direct 100% of my investment in the mid-cap funds because it's the middle of the market. And I said to him, it doesn't work that way. Uh, 
that's a mid-cap. That doesn't represent the middle of the market. It just represents mid-cap funds, uh, mid-cap companies. Um, so, you know, ERISA 404C, um, you know, I'm sure that law firm's plan is, is, is doing better uh, now that they've had an advisor. Uh, I think the advisor that I uh, didn't recommend that got hired, she's no longer on the plan. She's a, a big, big star in the uh, industry world. Um, got referred a lot of business from her partner. Uh, but, um, you know, it's important that plan sponsors realize that um, just giving them a fun lineup doesn't, you know, exempt them from liability. Liability is still there. Uh, next, too many uh, investment options depress plan participation. There's no reason to have 65 mutual funds on a fund lineup. All in, even with the target date funds, I think if you're more than 18, uh, and again, you're, you're looking at like what four or five target date funds. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that's a twenty seventy fund already. I'm sure that I haven't even looked. I don't invest in target date funds. Um, I've always had a problem with them. Uh, but uh, you know, even with target date funds, it should be like you know eighteen funds in the lineup, including the target date. That's it. You don't need two, three, uh, you know, large cap growth uh, mutual funds. Just don't. And studies have shown that you know people. More funds depress participation because it's about information overload. Plan participants, you know, somebody like me, a sophisticated investor, I guess, a self-anointed sophisticated investor, you should see some of my stock picks. I've got two losers that are causing my uh, my portfolio to be in the red. Two stock losers, and they're much bigger than all of my stock winners, like Exxon, whatever. But um, you know. Educated participants, yeah, they, they could do with two or three funds, but the most participants out there, too many fund selections causes paralysis. It's the same thing you ever have, and I have it a lot. I'm probably undiagnosed ADHD. We're going to have so many things, so many choices to do, and you do nothing. It's the uh, same thing when I think about all the movies that I could watch on streaming, and there's so many choices, and I end up watching nothing. And I end up reading a book or something. Um, and the studies don't lie. Um, you know, uh, I understand why, you know, advisor or plan sponsor wants so many different choices, but it's, but it's wrong. And also what's wrong is having too many proprietary funds in a fund lineup. Uh, years ago, I, you know, again, I always say don't do free work. Well, I did two plan reviews for free with the hope of getting business. And of course, I got no business out of it. One of them was dealing with an outdoor mall in Long, on Long Island. They were using a mutual fund company, a mutual fund company that I really respect, a mutual fund company that I think I interviewed for a temporary job once, uh, and, you know, one where I work with on, on, a, pool, on a, a couple of pool deployer plans. Well, the problem with them, they were using that mutual fund company as a TPA, and all the funds were in that uh, plan, you know. Every fund was the same fund company, international, bond, this, this, and that, and it looked wrong. And that was the biggest glaring error. We've had cases, large plans getting sued for too many proprietary funds. You know, listen, you go to Fidelity for Fidelity funds. You don't go to Fidelity to, because you like Vanguard funds. Fidelity is a great company. Same thing with Vanguard, you know, using them as a TPA. But using too many proprietary funds out there, I don't think it's a good idea. Um, obviously, you know, Fidelity wants you to invest in Fidelity funds. 
but you should invest, you know, invest in some other things. Because Fidelity is a great fund company, so is Vanguard. But there's no fund company out there that's great in every little facet of the industry, despite what they may tell you. Last but not least, uh, revenue sharing. Uh, that that was the flavor of the month back in the day. Uh, again, I was you know told, well, you know, if you have index funds in the lineup, that's more expensive than if you had actively managed funds. Well, that's because you're lying uh, uh, to the plan sponsors about the overall all cost in, uh, and they never counted, um, you know, actively managed funds and the huge uh, plan ratio. Uh, plan expense ratios. I want to say the first mutual fund that I ever invested in, I was 18 years, I was 19 years old, I think it was. And it was, uh, it was the Kaufman Fund. And uh, I, in those days, it, I think, you know, 12B1 and all that stuff, I think it was 267 basis points. And, you know, that, that was actually, I think in 92, I invested that fund. 91, that's when I had that big year and you know, they advertised in every magazine, mutual fund magazine, and some other stuff. And yeah, there used to be a mutual funds magazine, and I think the, uh, the dot bomb era killed that publication. But, uh, you know, nobody ever considered uh, expense ratios. Uh, so I was, I got a check, I think Federated, I wonder if they, there still is a Federated Kaufman Fund. Kaufman got taken over by Federated. But yeah, in those days, nobody talked about expense ratios. Uh, and, you know, plans with huge expense ratios could afford to pay revenue sharing. You know, when Vanguard is getting six bips or whatever it is, some ludicrously low amount for an, uh, for an index fund, they can't, you know, give a plan sponsor 25 basis points, well, sub-TA, whatever it is. They can't give them that money because they don't. it's not in their expense ratios. So revenue sharing was just, you know, it was a shell game, in my opinion. It took high expense funds enticed plan sponsors and TPAs to hawk them and advisors to hawk them with the idea that it would be used to, you know, reduce, um, you know, administrative costs. But it was just deceptive. Um, there were TPAs out there, you know, there were uh, mutual fund company platforms or other uh, platforms paying, you know, uh, a robust revenue sharing payment. Uh, there was one, you know, fund company that, again, I, I really like. Um, they had two platforms. One paid revenue sharing and one didn't. And I worked for a TPA where they said, you know what, we'll move you to a different platform, we'll lower your costs, and it's going to pay revenue sharing. But what they didn't say is through revenue sharing, they were actually making more money. Revenue sharing just is like disco. Uh, it had its time, and it's gone. Disco sucks. You know, you had that at uh, Disco Demolition Night, and that... Uh, Obviously, a negative, uh, you know, protest against disco. People who loved hard rock um, and revenue sharing uh, has pretty much died down. I mean, it's still there. Uh, you don't talk about it as much uh, because you know, with fee disclosure, it eliminated the need for it. Because all in, you got to tell your plan sponsors. Well, listen, I'm charging your know, plan providers. I'm charging you this for that, and then I'm also, you know, getting whatever for measure costs. So it leveled the playing field. And so those plans uh, that didn't pay revenue sharing were put on the same level as those that did. Uh, in the end, in the old days, uh, there, again, there was a um, there was a level where, you know, you could get away with it. You can't deal with it anymore. So 
that's that. Um, and uh, and that will be that of this episode of that Four K podcast. Uh, we hope you tune in next week for another episode, another fun-filled episode. I have to say that, or Bill Shores will uh, say that I didn't say it. Um, and uh, go to that foreigncatesite.com for further information on all our events, both virtual and live. And again, all of Texas, looking forward to that. Um, Bronx, New York. Uh, I'd say it's my hometown, but I'm from Brooklyn. My family was from the Bronx. My wife's family is from the Bronx. So I guess it's kind of a home, I guess. But anyway, uh, please tune in next week for another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. Take care.